Hello, everyone. This is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. For the next few weeks, my best mate, Fraser Kay, will again be lending his talents to us as he shares his writing and recording voice, featuring a key story from the Bible. It's the story when David, as a king, abuses his power, and he needs the grace of God in his life to help him recover. Before going on, just a quick word on Fraser. Fraser and I go back to seminary days here in Colorado. We happened to cross each other at a barbecue for seminary students, when I saw this guy juggling a ball with his foot, not a normal thing in the U.S. We started talking soccer, and our friendship was born. Well, Fraser hails from Aberdeen, Scotland, and we've shared life and journeyed together through many different things. I'm really blessed and privileged to call him friend. Fraser has several books and audiobooks, this being one of them. And last January, while I was on the month-long sabbatical, Fraser's other narrative, The King's Table, was a welcome podcast substitute while I took a break, so much so that I found myself listening to it. Fraser's also written a book on mentoring. He's written one on youth ministry. You can find his stuff on Amazon or Google Play or wherever you get your audiobooks by looking up his pen name, Fraser K, spelled F-R-A-S-E-R, and K is spelled K-A-Y. Well, enough of me. Today, we're going to be listening to part one of The Abuse of Power and the Grace of God, a biblical monologue featuring David, king of Israel, two years after murdering Uriah and taking Bathsheba as his wife. I'll come on after the monologue to offer a few questions for reflection and meditation and offer a prayer and blessing in closing. So hold on. Fraser comes back right after this. He's found the space and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post. Almost made him in. And they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. Hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! The Abuse of Power and the Grace of God A biblical monologue featuring David, King of Israel, two years after murdering Uriah and taking Bathsheba as his wife. Written and narrated by Fraser K. Part 1. Signs I didn't see it coming. Then again, you rarely do. But looking back, the signs were there. Growing laziness, feelings of having arrived, going through the motions, gradually isolating myself from the men closest to me who could help keep me accountable. Zeal for God moved out, selfishness moved in. I ended up rebelling against the Lord, and my actions caused the death of two people, and I've been heavily disciplined as a result. Yet the grace of God has been evident throughout. I deserved to die, but God spared me. Let me introduce myself properly and tell you where it all went so wrong. My name is David, King of Israel. Our country is the most dominant power in the region. Across the Jordan River, a little east of here, is a small country called Ammon. I was on good terms with Nahash, the King of Ammon. One day, I received the news that he had died. We had enjoyed excellent diplomatic relations, so I sent a delegation 
to offer my condolences to his son, Hanun, his successor. I dispatched three trusted officials, accompanied by six soldiers, together with a gift. Two days later, I received a report that stank like a festering wound. The Ammonite officials who had received my delegation treated them shamefully. Foolishly presuming I'd sent them to spy out their capital city, they arrested the men. Pinning them down, they then shaved off half of their beards, cut off their clothes at the buttocks, and sent them away. Humiliated, they began their journey home. But I sent messengers to tell them to stay in Jericho, a town just inside our border, until their beards grew back. The Ammonites panicked when they realised their error and mobilised thousands of troops. They even hired soldiers from surrounding countries. They would need the protection. Their border was only a day's march away, and on their own, they were no match for us. Yet I sent Joab, my army commander, out with the entire army. He pushed through to the capital city, sweeping aside any opposition. That's the first time I can remember not leading from the front. Looking back, I don't know what I was thinking. But indifference creeps up on you. It's not like it knocks on your door one morning and says, Greetings, my name is Indifference. Why don't you follow my lead today and start not caring anymore? Start delegating things you shouldn't. Stop taking responsibility. Start disobeying God. Stop caring. The offence the Ammonites caused was not enough to wrench me out of my reticence. My sending Joab instead of leading the charge was a glaring mistake, even if they were a far smaller country. I was fit enough to go out and lead with him in battle. However, Joab came back having defeated them. The Ammonite leaders retreated inside their fortified capital, and they wouldn't engage us again in battle until the following year. Here's what Joab told me he'd said to his brother who was assisting him in battle. Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Those are the kind of words I would have used. It was like a rebuke. You know, God using someone else, especially in an area you should be excelling in. But soon after that first battle, some of our enemies regrouped and hired yet more troops. Soldiers were recruited from far away, beyond the Euphrates River, way to the east. They invaded our territory and gathered just across the Jordan River. This time I took the initiative. I gathered the whole army and led them across the river. The opposition arranged themselves for battle, but we overwhelmed them. They fled, and we managed to slaughter hundreds of their charioteers and many more infantry. It was a great victory. Once we had vanquished them, winter encroached and military activity minimised. No point risking the lives of the men out in the open when it's so cold. Most soldiers went back home. Fighting would resume in the spring. Given the Ammonite leaders had holed themselves inside their capital city 
I'm sure Joab would relish a second chance to really punish them for the offence they caused. But my not going out the first time was a clear symptom, a sign that something wasn't right. The humiliation experienced by the delegation I sent should have been enough. My condolences had been returned in the Ammonite king's spittle. The stakes were high enough, the offence warranting my direct involvement. I should have reflected. Apathy had been my guest, threatening to move in long term. Perhaps I reckoned I'd seen it all before. I'd worked hard, thought I could take what I wanted, do as I please, go or not go. Yet it was God who had picked me from among the sheepfolds to lead the country. It was God who had protected me during many years as a fugitive. God had raised me up to reunite the two halves of the country. The capital city was named after me, and a great palace built for me, a symbol of my power. I had several beautiful wives and many children. I was the most powerful man among all the nations around. But I knew the Lord had done this for the sake of his people Israel. I wasn't the one who had brought it all about. So you'd think with all that I'd been given, that I wouldn't want anything else. That I'd be content and keep a clean heart, a clear perspective about how much God had given me, and why he had given it to me. But you'd be wrong. My heart became as hard as flint, and a thick blanket descended over my eyes. Thanks, Razor. So a few questions for you and me to meditate and reflect on as we wrap up this story in the podcast today. I wonder if you've ever had a point in your life or a moment when you became really, really lazy. I'm not talking about a momentary lapse of discipline. I'm talking about a slinking into apathy. As we learned today from David, we rarely recognize the signs. It's really an ambush, an ambush of apathy. It's a slow slide where we grow indifferent toward something or someone. Think about it for a moment. As a footballer, when do you shut off? When do you shut down? When does complacency set in? When does apathy take over? Is it when the club is so far down the table that you've no hope for success for the season? Or maybe it's when you're outside of the first team. You're not dressing. You're not part of the bench. You're not part of the 18. The manager never gives you a sniff of opportunity. Or if you're a manager or executive, at what point do you begin to not care? At what point do you look at a season and go, yeah, we'll move on. We'll move on to next year. At what point do you start looking for the early exit or make yourself scarce around the club? Maybe it's not even about football at all. I think most of the time it's not. It's about our relationships. You know, maybe it's about family, your marriage, or another relationship. You start to feel lazy about the time and energy that might go into looking after someone else and their needs. We see in David's reflection today that there were signs and symptoms that something was wrong. Can you recognize the signs? Do you have trusted people in your life? You know, people who aren't afraid to speak truth. People who aren't looking to get something out of you, but willing to point out when the warning signs are there and when you're oblivious to them? Or are you so isolated and insulated that only yes people are around you? 
Friends, take the time today to examine yourself, to ask yourself if you've become apathetic or hard of heart, whether it's something related to your football, I don't know, maybe your career is winding down or it hasn't gone the way you'd like it to, or maybe it's related to your family, your love and desire for your partner is a flame long gone out, or your relationship with mom and dad or the kids is soured, or perhaps, and more importantly, the signs and symptoms of an apathetic faith are there. God is dead, or he's not really relevant, he's not really real. Church, fellowship, community, devotion, maybe things a long time left since childhood. Maybe you feel like it's all a sham, or, or it's just one hurt after another, one harmful memory after another, and so you've cast these things aside. Well, friends, I want to close with a prayer for you and for me that we might combat and fight against this ambush of apathy. Father God, let me not be ambushed by apathy. Let me not slink into the slough of despair and despondency. Let me not be lazy about my life, my football, my faith, my family. Rather, raise up my eyes to see clearly in the light of day. Bring back trusted people who will speak truth and hold me accountable. Help me not get too far afield that I one day look back with a mile-long list of regret. Show me the signs and symptoms. Give me a cure. A cure for the soul and this heart of mine. Let me not surrender to the easy path, the destructive way. Take, O God, this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Amen. Well, this is Reb Brad and the voice of Fraser K. coming to you from the Touchline.